Let me pray. Father, you are so good to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you're a God of grace. We confess um, that we are in need. Um, we are in need of what you can only provide, that you've provided in your son, Jesus. And so we come this morning um, remembering Christ and who he is, that we give praise to you because what you've done through your son. Um, we're thankful um, that we can gather together this morning and open your word freely. What a blessing it is to live in a place where we can do that. And we pray for churches all over the world this morning um, that are meeting in hiding, um, that are meeting to open the word and be changed by the word, that people's hearts might be changed and people would come to know Jesus. So we pray for the church in our community. We pray for the church in our country. We pray for the church uh, broadly in this world that we live in. And we pray that as a church, as a local church, that we would bring you much glory, that we would see you for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I pray for our witness right here in Little Magnolia. Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and lives and mouths to speak of the truths, even in a hostile culture, even in a growingly hostile culture, that we have a song in our hearts, a new song because of what Christ has done in our lives, that we would share it. And we pray that you would go before us as we open your word, um, guide us, help us to understand it and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. First movie I ever went to in a movie theater was Star Wars. And I realize now that I was so young that I couldn't read, so I'm not sure if my parents couldn't find a babysitter or what was going on. But I remember the opening scene of Star Wars, the music, the Star Wars music began to play and the words on the screen that I couldn't read began to roll up the screen and I was hooked. I was hooked. I love Luke Skywalker. Listen, spoiler alert, it's long been passed, so if you hadn't seen it, sorry. If your kids hadn't seen it yet, sorry. Love Luke Skywalker. But here's the thing. Uh, the first trilogy was out, and I got to watch all of those movies as a little kid, and then there was this long, long gap in Star Wars, right, for the second trilogy to come out, and I was about in grad school at that point, and I remember going to the movie theater and watching um, the Gungans, and it just didn't do it for me, you know, the second time around, and so I, I wasn't tuned in as much, and yet now I'm... I, my kids. My kids know everything about Star Wars. My oldest is like a walking encyclopedia. He knows everything about it. My youngest um, wants for his birthday lightsabers, and so I'm still paying into this deal at this point. And when I think about Star Wars, at least my image of Star Wars, I really think of two main characters that stick out to me. Two Skywalkers. I know there's three. Two Skywalkers stick out to me. Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker. Two Skywalkers. There's really a theme between those two Skywalkers. The first Skywalker, Anakin. You think of Anakin and all that was promised to him by this dark Sith Lord. Promises that could not be realized and you watch him fall. And you watch the loss and destruction that happens for Anakin and all the people in his life and the people around him and the destruction that that brings. But then there is his son. Luke, Luke, the second Skywalker, and he doesn't give in to the dark side, and there is new hope, no pun intended. There is hope, and there's blessing, and there's life for the Republic. I want to liken that to the scriptures themselves. Did you know that the primary purpose 
of the biblical story, when you open it up and you read it, the primary purpose of the biblical story is to show the redemption of the first Adam, Adam in the garden, by the second Adam, Jesus. It's a storyline of the scriptures. I want you to turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, we see the backstory of the ruin of the first Adam by the second Adam. And we see the rescue and the reign of this, what the Bible calls the second Adam in Jesus. We've seen all the way through Romans where maybe you're getting kind of tired of it as you walk through Romans, like, I get it, Paul. I understand that I am sinful and understand the effects of my sin, whether I believe that I am self-sufficient and self-reliant and autonomous from God and the ruin that that brings, or that I'm self-confident in all the religious things that I do to attain God's favor. And Paul says what? There are none righteous. No, not one. Whether you're self-reliant or whether you're self-sufficient or whether you're self-confident in your own deeds, we get it. We've gotten there. Last week, we narrowed the scope into that, and we've also seen the beauty of Christ, that black backdrop of sin, but the beauty of Christ, the diamond against that black backdrop that gives us, makes us right with God by faith in him. And we come to Romans 5 this morning, and we're going to see why did, why, where did sin come from, and why is the world around us still so broken? And most people in the world say it's so broken because that's just the way it is. But see, the biblical narrative gives us the answer. We can see in Genesis 1 through 3 how sin has plunged us, not just Adam and Eve, but also plunged us into sin. That when we see something we desire, we take it and we don't think about the consequences to it. When it's the delight to our eyes, man, when we're looking online at pornography, that we take the bait of sin to great consequence to ourselves and to others. And the pride of life, just like Adam and Eve, where they took because they thought they would make it themselves wise. We give in to the same allure that they give in to. And we come to Romans 5, and Paul's going to unpack this for us. So Romans 5 will be in verses 12 through 21. It's page 942 on the Bible there in your chair. you got a Bible with you. That would be great. As well, and I want to show you this backstory of ruin, but this ruin that is followed by rescue and reign from the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So turn with me there and let's read it. Romans 5. Romans 5 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He's speaking of Adam. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Verse 15. But the free gift, you're going to see that over and over and over, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Amen. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous, those who receive. For the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we get the answer How did sin come into the world? Why are we in such a pickle? It came into the world because the first man, Adam, took. And what are the results of that sin that came into the world because of Adam's sin? The result is is that it spread like a virus to all men. And ultimately, it leads to death. You know the story, right? Many of you know the story of Adam and Eve. God created the world and all that's in it, and he said it was good. And on the last day, he created Adam, and he said he was very good. And then he created, and he gave him a command and said, you can go to the garden and you can take anything in the garden except, for the, not, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you take it, you will what? You will die. And then he creates Eve out of Adam. And then you meet the serpent in chapter 3, the crafty serpent like the Sith Lord who tempts and twists. And what does the text say that Adam and Eve did? It says that they saw. They saw the food, lust of the eyes. And it was delightful, lust of the flesh. It was the delight to, to make one wise. And they gave in to sin. Do you think they were thinking about the consequences of their actions at that point? Well, if we do this, work's going to be hard and childbirth's going to be hard and the, worst, the world's going to be plunged into problems forevermore. I don't think so. It's kind of like your kids when you go, what were you thinking? The point is, they weren't thinking. They were seeing that little shiny thing, whatever that shiny thing was, and they take. There's no difference between Adam and Eve. They weren't thinking about the consequence. But make no mistake about it, when we come, up, come to this passage, if you know your Bible, if you've studied theology at all, one of the primary uses, if you will, of this passage is to understand original sin and to understand that that sin that was in, is in that sin that Adam committed and Eve committed is passed down to you. All the way through their progeny, you can see it in Cain and Abel and Lamech and all the way down to you and to me. And so it's an inherited guilt that passes down to you and me. We don't think this is fair. We look at this text and go, how is it that Adam's sin affects me? How is it that I'm guilty because of Adam? The text says that we all sinned in Adam. For better or for worse, you look like your parents, right? Maybe your kid tells me, tells you, like tells me, Dad, why weren't you taller? 
A couple of you met my mom two weeks ago, and, and you would know. She's five foot nothing. My brothers are taller than me. I inherited that physical trait from my parents. And guess what? The DNA of sin transfers all the way from Adam to you and me. You ever look at each other and go to your, to your kid and go, that's from your side of the family? That anger is from your side of the family? And the other one go, hey, you see how sneaky they were? See how much they like to argue about the sky being gray and not blue? That's from your side of the family. My, I found this out, this is random, but I found this out about 10 years ago. I was already out of college, but I found this out that my great, 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 somewhere back there, was full-blooded Irish dude married to a full-blooded Apache lady. And there's a lot of anger wrapped up in that. It started to make sense of what's going on with my family. But it's passed down. It's an inherited guilt that you have and I have. And if you don't like that, you don't think that's fair, the Bible gets worse. I mean, if you go to Psalm 51 and you see David confessing his sin, behold, here's what David says about himself. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So I know we've got a lot of new babies that are just being born and they're cute and they're cuddly, but that sin is built in. You think about how long it took for your little one. You know, you, you come home and you have great plans to put them in, um, in the crib and you're gonna go sleep, like that works. And when they wake up and they're hungry or they want something, they start crying. And, you, and they figure, how, how long in your house did, they, did it take for them to figure out if mom walks in the room or dad walks in the room? They stop and they just grin at you. That stuff's built in. That happens really early. See, we're not naturally good. We have inherited Adam and Eve's sin. And here's the point. Your first truth this morning is this. And this applies to your life and mine just like it did Adam and Eve. This truth. Our sin has disastrous consequences. Well beyond ourselves. Adam and Eve weren't thinking about it. I guarantee you they weren't thinking about the consequences. They weren't thinking about how it affects each other, how it affects their progeny, how it affects you and me, any more than we think about it. And that dangly thing is in front of us. Well beyond ourselves. We used to live by this family. Sad story. We used to live by this family and the family had been through a lot. There was divorce. There was a lot of hardship. And this boy, was a, he was a teenage boy. And he was just going through all kinds of rebellion. Disobedient to his parents. In and out of the house. Thought about sending him to boarding school. Just trying to figure out what to do. He got into drugs a little bit. He was the kid that got into drugs, but he could manage it halfway. And then... I begin to notice, and my neighbor, who's a police officer, and my other neighbor, who's a Texas Ranger, <laughs> began to notice that there were cars that would pull up to the house next to us, this kid's house, when mom and dad weren't there. And this kid would come out, and they would look like they had an exchange, and they would leave, and I had my little kids playing in the front yard. I wasn't too thrilled with what was happening in my front yard. Neither was the police across the street, neither was his dad, neither was the Texas Ranger. 
And I remember meeting with his dad and talking on how are we going to deal with this because his dad was at his wit's end. And we all met with this boy and sat him down, tried to talk some sense into him about what he was doing on our street. And I'll never forget, he said, this doesn't affect anyone else. I mean, dealing drugs doesn't affect anybody else on our street. It's no big deal. What do you think I said to that? <laughs> and we looked at this young man and said, it is a big deal. You're putting everyone at risk. Yourself primarily. Your family. My family. My children. And maybe you're not dealing drugs. Maybe that's not your thing. I want you to think this morning with me about the sin that does have consequence, not just to you, but to the people around you. And maybe you're thinking, well, I've got this licked and I keep this secret and I keep this quiet and nobody knows. I'm crafty at that. The Bible says our sin will find us out. And that's a good thing. G.K. Chesterton says this about the doctrine of original sin and imputed sin. He says, original sin is the only doctrine that can be proven empirically. Like you can see it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever played in a dodgeball game? Or, or watched the dodgeball game? And I'm not talking about what they do in school today. You know what they do in school today with dodgeball? They take these bean bags and put them on the floor and they roll it and they, you hit somebody and that's dodgeball. That's not dodgeball. I'm talking about the big red ball or the gator balls that you can really hit somebody in the face, you know, and, 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 and make them go out. They don't get resurrection back in the day. Right? That's dodgeball. So you don't need to understand that. That's dodgeball. Have you ever been, have you ever seen a dodgeball game or been a part of a dodgeball game? And don't just think about the kids. Think about Christian men's retreat. All right? right? Nobody's honest in dodgeball. I didn't get out. And then in response to that, you got dudes that are, or ladies that are really angry. Yeah, you did. Trash talking. Both ways. By the way, we do have a men's retreat scheduled again. Uh, it's just scheduled it this week, January 28th and 9th, Piney Woods. We're going to have another dodgeball tournament. And if you need another shot at me, I'm going to give you another shot. If you know, you know. Sin is empirically proven every day. In your life, in my life. I just want you to think for a minute about how Adam and Eve fell into sin. They saw something they wanted. They desired it. And they thought it was going to give them something that it never could give them, i.e. Anakin Skywalker. Do you understand the strategy of the evil one? Do you understand that your flesh has desire and that desire gives way to sin in your life? That is the sobering truth, that sin has disastrous consequences, and it's well beyond ourselves, and you see it every day falling out that way. But praise God, that ruin is only, listen to me, that's not where Paul's going. The, one of the great things about not preaching three verses and preaching more verses is that you get to the rescue. You get to the rescue in verses 15 through 19. But that's not the end of the story. 
that ruin is not the end of the story, but rescue is. Look at it here in verses 15 through 19. And you're going to see in these five verses contrast, four contrasts between Adam, the first Adam in the garden, him, the contrast and what sin brings, and the other man, Jesus Christ. And this is beautiful. And this is where Paul is going. This is the emphasis of the text It's not just about inherited guilt, even though theologically it's a great text for that. Paul's going somewhere, somewhere glorious. Look at it with me, 15 through 19, you see four contrasts. Notice this, if you have a chart, you would do this. You would put a line in the middle, and you'd put Adam on one side, and you'd put Jesus on the other side. What does Adam give us? Look at it. Trespass. And because of that trespass, there's condemnation. And condemnation leads to death. Spiritual and physical death. That's what we see over and over after Adam and Eve. And they died. And they died. And in life, it looks like disobedience. So you see that? That's that column. But look at the contrast between the other man, Jesus. So Adam, Jesus, you see not trespass, but you see gift. Not condemnation, you see justification, meaning God makes you right. Not death, but life. Not disobedience, but obedience. And all the way through, if you just look at the main words that are used over and over and over again in verses 15 through 19, the word gift and grace is used like eight times. That's important. That's an important observation because God's gift to you of justification and life and obedience. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you earn back. It's not something like Adam and Eve where they put fig branches back over them to cover their sin. Did it work? No. What did they need? They needed sacrifice. God slew an animal and covered their sin with it as if a precursor to what Christ has done for you. You can't put any works or anything on yourself only what Christ has done for you, that he died on a cross as the Lamb of God to take away your sin. So here's your second truth, and it's a glorious one. In Christ, we undeservedly gain more. Stress the word more. More than we could, could ever be lost in Adam. Get your mind around that for a minute. I want you to think about all that was lost in Adam. I want you to think about your own life right now and you go, man, sin is entrapping me. Sin feels like it's so big in my life. Suffering, the world of suffering around me. It feels like I can't get out of it. Christ gained more that could ever be lost in Adam, in sin. Do you believe that? See, we don't deserve what Christ gains for us but it's more than you could ever lose because of your sin. Do you believe this? I know transactionally many of you have trusted in Christ and you believe this at like 100,000 feet up there, but do you believe this in your everyday life? Are you believing this truth today, Christian? With the sin that is entangling you, with the discouragement that you feel, with the hurts that you have living in a broken world that is not yet fully redeemed. You know, there's an example in Scripture that I think helps us on a ground level. Helps us live out that transaction in our lives because it seems so distant sometimes. You ever experience that? That's my experience. 
yeah, I know the truth of the gospel, but man, I, I'm just struggling. There's weight on me, but either because of my sin or because of what's happening around me. I don't know if I really believe this in everyday life. Paul's a great example. Do you remember Philippians 3? Philippians 3, he gives his personal resume. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's status. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's even a higher status. He had notoriety. He had status. His identity was wrapped up in the world and all these amazing things. And you think about that as a balance sheet of your life. You're like, that's pretty good. And then he says what? In chapter 3, he says, but. Philippians 3. I think we have it here. 3, 7, and 8. Look at the way Paul thinks about his life, his everyday life. You should write this verse down. You should memorize it. You should put it on a mirror in your bathroom. Verse 7, whatever was gain to me, whatever gain I had, all that resume he just shared, I count all that stuff as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because there's a surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's literally dumb. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having, it's not up there, but not having a righteousness of my own. See also Romans. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Let me say it this way. Just hypothetically. If the IRS came and looked at your spiritual bank account and they looked at it, you know what they would do? They would audit you every time. They would audit you every time because they wouldn't be able to figure out why you've got so much money in your account that you didn't earn. I see that you earned this much. And yet you have this bank account that is almost limitless. Where did that money come from? It well exceeds the gift gift you can receive every year of, what is it now, $12,000? Maybe it's more. You catch this? Christ has given you gain. He's gained you more than you can ever earn or lose in Adam. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Are you believing that today? See, the balance sheet doesn't look right because Christ has lavished his grace on you that you have not deserved. That's his love for you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to balance that thing out on your own without Christ and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The debt is too Great, you can't repay it. The Christ has died in your place. He's been count, you've been counted righteous as we've been learning in Romans because of what he's done, not what you can bring and give. He paid the debt that you could never pay. So we gain more. And Paul's a great example for us to understand how we can live that out in everyday life. Well, not only does he rescue us out of the reign of ruin, but there's something else really marvelous in verse 19 and 20. Look at it. Verse 19 and 20. It says this, the law came in. Here he goes back to the law. 
The law came in to increase the trespass, but which sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign. Listen, why does he bring up the law again? He keeps bringing up the law. Because his audience believes some things, or have believed some things. They're new believers, but they're still trying to struggle with this deal. And he brings it up in verse 13 as well, that sin came before the law. Here's why. He does this because Jewish folks thought that God gave the law to counteract the impulses of sin and the desire of sin. And that's not what the law's purpose was. As a matter of fact, Jews in that day had this proverb and they would say, give me more Torah because it gives me more life. And maybe you think about that and go, man, giving me more rules doesn't help my desire and my sin problem. What are they thinking? And yet oftentimes in our own lives, that's what we think about law. We think it will do for us what it was never meant to do. It was meant to point out our sin. And we do it in parenting all the time. I do. Obey my law. And somehow that's magically going to make my kid holy and make my kid not desire. Now listen, you've got to have laws in your house and structure in your house. But the law will never do what God's grace can do. Not even for your kid. In verse 21, he contrasts here law and grace. But look at verse 21. So that, here's why. Sin reigned to death. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's your third truth, and it's a glorious one. And Adam's sin ruled over us. It was master over us in Adam. But here's a glorious truth. It's grace. It's grace, Christ's grace, that reigns over us now. If you know Jesus, Christ's grace reigns over you. The presence of sin is still here. You struggle with it every day. But the power of sin is broken, and it's broken by Christ. Sin is no longer your master. Sin once ruled, but it, and it had mastery over you, but now Christ's grace should be reigning in you, and that's good news. If you know Jesus, that's good news. You know what we're going to do next week? We're going to shift to Romans 6. We're going to move into Romans 6, and there's a big shift in Romans 6. Romans 1 through 5, we've functionally been talking about salvation and justification. How are we made right with God in our sin? Chapter 6, we switch. How are we supposed to live? Okay, I believe that. Now, how are we supposed to live? And I'm just going to give you a little taste of Romans 6 here. Look at how this affects your day-to-day. Romans 6, it says this, verse 12. Because you've been transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the dark side that brings ruin and destruction and loss and endless searching for satisfaction, by the way, and you've been transferred into the light of Christ and the grace that rules his kingdom in the light of Christ. Here's what he's going to say about how to live the Christian life. Look at verse 12 in Romans 6. Let, therefore, because of this truth, don't let sin, what? What's the word? Reign. It doesn't have any power over you anymore. Its presence is there, but its power is broken. It's not master over you anymore, Christian. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make it, you obey its passions. 
Verse 14, skip down. For sin will have no dominion, no mastery, no monarch over you since you are not under law but under grace. That is great news. Most of you in the room, most of us in the room have never lived under like an evil government. Maybe you think that, but like if you've ever... If you've ever lived in a third world country. Anybody ever lived in a third world country? Anybody ever lived under a dictator? Functionally? When you talk to people who have lived in that, under communism, particularly socialism, dictatorship, there is a weight to it. In early 2000s, I went to Russia when you could actually go to Russia on a mission trip with a bunch of high school students. Think about that now. Um, and we were in St. Petersburg, which is kind of the um, western part, more European part, a beautiful place. But you start talking to people in St. Petersburg, one of which, Annie, my translator, she began to tell me what it was like, and she was an older lady. She began to tell me what it was like to live in communist Russia. USSR, back in the day. And she began to cry and tell me about how they came in and killed her father and her grandfather. And that's real stuff. And the oppression that it was like to live in Russia. And then there was a level of freedom after the fall of the Soviet Union. And you know, she talked for about 15 minutes about all the hardship. She talked for an hour <laughs> about the liberation. And one of the reasons we were going as a youth group was to, to see that, but also to participate in what they called an open-air retreat as believers. Because they were part of the underground church where they went up to the Baltic Sea before the Soviet Union fell so they could have a little bit of freedom to worship their God on this little peninsula-like island off the Baltic Sea. And like 20 years later, my kids experienced something really interesting. I mean, for like 15 hours, kids their age were worshiping God, opening their Bibles, grateful for the liberation that they were living in. And maybe you've never lived in that. I've never lived in that. But the reign of darkness is real in your life and in my life, apart from Christ. And maybe you've had that at work to a certain degree. Maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe you've had that in a boss. Maybe you've had that in somebody in your family. You've felt the oppression and living under something like that. Maybe you Aggies today feel liberated from the reign of Bama. There's a feeling there that comes with that, at least for this year. Listen, how much greater, how much greater what Christ has done to take you out of the dominion of darkness and put you in the dominion of life. He reigns. And it's not a dark shadow, it's light. His burden is easy. So you can come to him. There's a liberation that God grants us. From sin, this is a beautiful truth. It's grace that reigns over us today. 
And that makes a difference for you today when you're struggling with sin to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. You know that old song, grace, grace, God's grace? The pardon that we have from within because of his grace, 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 God's grace, a grace that's greater the grace that's greater than all our sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. And not only that, not only is grace reigning if you're a believer, whether you feel like it or not, one day, Revelation chapter 5 tells us some amazing truths. It says, and they sang a new song. This is your future, Christian. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, speaking of Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you were ransomed, a people for God, that's you, from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them, that's us, a kingdom, a priest to our God, and they will what? And they will reign on earth. That's your future. You get to participate in the reign of Christ. So this text goes from ruin to rescue to reign. There's a story of two hikers that had two guides they were going up a pretty treacherous cliff on a long hike, and so they strapped in together, all four of them, and they're going up the side of this mountain, and the guide in the back slipped and fell and started to barrel off the cliff, and he brought the two hikers with him, and feeling that, the guide in the front put down his stake, his anchor, and he began to help those three hikers, or the guide and the two hikers, up from falling off a cliff. Listen, the first Adam fell, and he took you and me with him. But the last Adam, Jesus, his anchor, it holds. You believe that? It holds. So your takeaway this morning is this. He's got you. Hope in Christ triumph over our sin and death. His anchor holds. The operative question when you leave here today is this. Are you living in the shadow of Adam? Living in the shadow of Adam or in the light of Christ? Let me pray.